Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. They've raised the bar on Rochester Sports Talk. You're in the sports bar with Danger and Battaglia on the Sports Leader. 95.7 FM and AM 950 The Fan. Rochester. Yeah, they've been professional. Um, you know, everyone um, looks at the game and says, hey, this is what I, um, they look, themselves, look at themselves first and say, this is what I could have done better. And I think that's the right approach. And then you know, move forward as a team. And, um, you know, we've got to do some things better. There's a lot that we did do well. Uh, at the same time, there's things that we've got to do better as we move forward here and build for the season throughout the year. This is Buffalo Bills head coach Sean McDermott. On moving forward after a disappointing performance week one in the Meadowlands, we welcome in Chris Trapasso, one of our favorite CBS Sports draft analysts into the sports bar. And we know that you you look at a lot of film, Chris. Um, man, it sure seems like everybody yesterday was piling on the performance of Josh Allen for good reason, I believe. Uh, what did you see when you broke down the film of 17? Yeah, it was some of the more antsy play that we've seen from Josh Allen, uh, some of which... I think was justified because there were times that the Jets were able to just do a basic four-man rush and get home. And whether that was Spencer Brown, the right tackle, being pushed into his lap or a quick loss inside against Quinton Williams, uh, occasionally some of those blitzers were getting home and, and were free rushers. I think from the jitters that we saw sprinkled throughout that game from Josh Allen, I also think it was part, and I haven't really heard a lot of this, but just from watching the film, it almost felt like in prime time in that game that ultimately was the highest or the most watched Monday night football game, I think ever in the broadcast history, it's almost like Josh Allen was looking to make that highlight real prime time throw. I think the first interception was the biggest illustration of that, that Jordan Whitehead was turned in the opposite direction and he was trying to throw about a 70 yard bomb behind the corner to a post route from the backside. So that's really what I saw. He was jittery. A few times he left the pocket like on that interception when he didn't need to. And it seemed like he was both worried too much about the pass rush uh, and it kind of led to him leaving the pocket early, like I was saying, and just looking for that home run to kind of hit that play that kind of aligned with the magnitude of the game. Yeah, Chris, uh, like, and it seemed like each 
turnover got worse and worse as we kind of went yeah. along to to the to the one where Gabe Davis. Now it was on the broadcast that all right was that a lazy route by Gabe Davis? We all look at now now we see like oh my gosh Diggs is open or you could have gone to Kincaid. But you know mm-hmm. it, does does Davis deserve any blame on that route whatsoever? I don't think as much, and I'm actually someone that's not a huge Gabe Davis believer, but specifically on that route, I don't think he deserves a lot of blame. I think there he needs to press vertical to show like he's running a deep route and then get to the sideline as fast as possible. I don't think every corner route or every outbreaking route does not need to have, and it just doesn't if you watch all around the NFL or just watch the Bills, does not need to have a fake to the inside or, or every in-breaking route doesn't have a fake to the outside. And really, that's not Gabe Davis's forte, running routes. I think he's best getting down the field on go routes and post routes, tracking the football, the back shoulder game, using his size and his long stride to be that over-the-top type player. So uh, I don't think as much for Gabe Davis in terms of blame on that route. It just seemed like based on the pre-snap alignment, because the safety Jordan Whitehead was so deep, Josh Allen thought, hey, I'm going to have this open. I'm going to be able to throw this um, underneath that safety. But he was almost ready for that route. He almost anticipated that it was coming, whether it was from film study himself or just knew the alignment with Diggs and Davis. It was going to probably be that concept. We'll never know. Um, But I don't really put too much on Gabe Davis on that play specifically. Chris, it's not a sexy topic, but we have two new faces in in the the right and left guard position for this offensive mm-hmm. line. And you mentioned the offensive line was getting pushed back a little bit, uh, specifically with Spencer Brown on the right side. Evaluate the play of McGovern and Torrance on the left and right side. How did the interior of the offensive line play on Monday night? Yeah, that's a great question because I went back and I zeroed in uh, on the offensive line this morning. I, I love offensive line play. I actually thought that Osiris Torrance, the rookie, played better than Connor McGovern. And you would think McGovern, he's been in the league multiple seasons. He hasn't started a a litany of games. He doesn't have an insane amount uh, more experience than Torrance. Kind of felt like Torrance was more ready. I don't know if it's playing in the SEC and facing Georgia and Alabama just for that one season did that for him. Uh, There was like one rep in pass protection where he kind of got out over his feet and lunged. Beyond that, I thought he really held his own wasn't moving people in the run game like we saw last season at Florida, but against that incredibly deep defensive front. And to me, the only other defensive line that the Bills are going to face this season that has that deep of a defensive line is the Philadelphia Eagles. But facing that group that could just be fresh and have all different shapes and sizes from Al Woods, John Franklin Myers, of course, Quinnen Williams. A lot of those edge rushers are bigger. They play inside on third downs. Torrance fared very well. I thought he was an awesome debut for him. McGovern wasn't terrible, but I would have expected a little bit more stability out of him, given, again, that he is you know, into his mid-20s and has been in the NFL for multiple seasons. Yeah, John Franklin Myers. Oh, my gosh. I, I think Spencer Brown's going to see him in his sleep there. Um, he is. <laughs> do the Bills have a Spencer Brown problem? Because I, I don't know. Where, where, where do you go from here if you're going to make a player personnel change, Chris? They do have a Spencer Brown problem. I think, uh, and I've said this on this show a lot, I write about it a lot with the draft, uh, that the offensive line in the NFL, and in college, I guess, it's a weak link system. You can have four outstanding offensive linemen, and if one of your offensive linemen is a major liability, it makes the entire offensive line look bad. And I get it. Spencer Brown's been injured. He didn't have a whole offseason last year because of his back. 
Um, but he's 100%, and he's now in year three, and he's bit is pretty inexperienced. He didn't get that final season at Northern Iowa because of the pandemic. Um, but at this point, it, I think we're past even one game into his third season. Time to make excuse for this, lack of an experience. Oh, he needs to get bigger. He needs to get stronger. doesn't usually take offensive linemen three full seasons to be able to deal with a bull rush. Now, he is an interesting case because he's six foot nine and came into the league at around 300 pounds. He looked like a really tall tight end, honestly. Um, in terms of getting out in space for the screen game, for the outside run game, uh, and even against outside speed rushes, that's where Spencer Brown is going to thrive. But I think at this point, because he has played enough, defensive lines and defensive coordinators game plan for him and say, just push him back because he cannot get low enough to anchor and set that strong edge. So I, I do think they have a problem there, hopefully for the Bills. Um, you know, that they're hoping that he can get a little bit stronger and, and add some more weight to his lower half and play with better knee bend. But right now, based on what he did last season, um, and then in that first game, I, I thought it was pretty close to an abomination for a right tackle. Uh, it's going to be a problem, you know, not just last week, but going forward. We wanted to see what Sean McDermott, uh, Sean McDermott called defense would look like for the Buffalo Bills. I think the pass rush looked improved over last year, and I don't have a lot to complain about over uh, about the play of Floyd and, and Rousseau, but I'm curious as somebody who looks at that film and, and analyzes uh, the, the positions the way you do, Chris, what about, the again, new guys in, in new faces in, in familiar places? Bernard in the middle, uh, you, you had, uh, you, you had uh, Christian Benford uh, opposite Trey White. How did these guys fare with, with the uh, opportunity they had on Monday night? Yeah, Christian Benford, I'll start there. I thought he played very well. And for someone that coming out of Villanova, he had this insane productivity, a bunch of interceptions, like 40-something plus pass breakups at the FCS level. Didn't seem like the best athlete, almost seemed destined to play safety in the NFL. I think he plays man-to-man coverage very well, especially for someone that, again, did not have the SEC or the Power Five competition um, experience in college. So I thought he fared very well playing zone and man, switching it up inside, outside. And Terrell Bernard played, I'll say, pretty close to what I expected. And I'm, I'm always going to go back to the draft stuff. I remember him at Baylor. There were similarities to Matt Milano in that he was that kind of small, pesky, always around the football type player. But then when guards and centers and even tackles would get up to the second level, even tight ends, he had trouble getting off those blocks. There was a tackle late in the game that he actually made like eight or ten yards down the field. I think it was on Dalvin Cook. So it goes in as a tackle, but he was there in the hole about two yards beyond the line of scrimmage, and it took him those extra two seconds to get off the block to then make the tackle. I do think, though – it was pretty apparent like why he was the starter or why he won that job because in terms of calling the plays and understanding where he needed to line up, he didn't seem like over his head in that regard. But I just think with Terrell Bernard, it's going to take some time for him to understand that there's just a different level of physicality, not even just going from Baylor to the NFL, and he didn't play a lot last year, but playing that middle linebacker role that's a little bit closer to the football at center. Chris DePasso, CBS Sports uh, draft analyst, uh, sticking on the defense. I want to ask you about a guy who was not in uniform, 
Kyer Elam. Uh, to some, maybe a surprise that he was uh, game day inactive, but when you broke it all down, like, wait a second, as you mentioned, Benford is a starter, Dane Jackson is serviceable, and the Bills chose Cam Lewis uh, to keep him active over Kyer Elam. So I guess my question here is, Chris, uh, when we look back to the draft two years ago, could you have seen this path? Because you don't spend a first-round pick to have a game day inactive two years later. No, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I would not have ever guessed that Kyer Elam, regardless of where he landed, would be a game day inactive to start his second NFL season. Did I think he had the greatest film ever uh, coming out of Florida? No. Um, and I thought when the Bills drafted him, it was one of two things. Either a very weird scheme fit because he was predominantly a press man corner, and I feel like we talked about this at, at St. John. Fisher University um, at training camp, but then I thought, okay, maybe the Bills want to switch things up and have, you know, zone on one side of the field, and we heard Troy Aikman last night talk so much about how the Bills like to disguise their coverages. Maybe with Elam, they get that. They get Trey White in zone on one side, Elam on an island in another, um, or on the other side of the field, and we're just not getting that. It wasn't really surprising that he was a game day inactive, like you mentioned, because of camp and preseason uh, play was not very good. To me, If Christian Benford is a good player, it kind of cancels it out beyond the fact, though, that you missed on a first-round pick, and you could have picked a litany of other players at different positions that would have helped this team. So for as much as it might not matter for the cornerback room, if this continues and he's not playing at all or you know only playing intermittently and there's so many other players picked between his selection and then when the Bills pick James Cook – uh, it, it definitely does not look good for the, in terms of the draft evaluation process and how the Bills have built this team you know, over the last couple of years. Chris, quickly, because I know you have an out, uh, do the Raiders present any specific matchup issues for the Buffalo Bills on Sunday? One player, Max Crosby. He is absolutely an elite edge rusher. I know after last week it was all about Miles Garrett and Micah Parsons just wreaking habit. Uh, Max Crosby is very close to that level. I think he is a top five edge rusher. Uh, we'll see if Chandler Jones plays, but he's a little bit aging at this point. There's been some, you know, concerns about him with his coach and how, you know, they weren't letting him train or rehab this off season. So he's the one player that has that game record label. Beyond that, you're not going to probably not going to see Jacoby Myers, who suffered a concussion in the second half of that game and was having a good game against Denver um, and a secondary that is still really in the ground floor of being rebuilt. So for as much as the Bills and Josh Allen did struggle with, with protection and with making bad decisions, in today's NFL, and there's so much parity, this is about as good of a matchup as they could probably ask for at home against a team that has one really, really good player and the rest of a defense. Um, that's just not ready to, I think, defend an offense that has the capabilities that the Bills do. Chris, let me just sneak one in here because I invite everybody to to check out your latest article up on CBSSports.com about the young quarterbacks. And Okay, Brock Purdy was good. Uh, no, my gosh, there was really some bad quarterback, but you would kind of expect this, right? Like it's it's tough to enter this league. So of these young guys being young, Howell, Ritter, you just all chalk it up to all right. It's 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 early on here. Was there any real cause for concern with any of these guys? Um, not necessarily. I think it's to kind of harken back to training camp early in in an NFL season. This is not always the case, but most of the time the defense is ahead of the offense, that the defense is just attacking. Uh, The offense has to figure out 
the rhythm and the connection between their quarterback and the receivers, spacing, protections, a lot more goes into it in terms of executing a play as opposed to just reacting to what the offense is doing. Across the board, I mean, there was only a few really stellar offensive performances in week one, and we're now in this era over the last five to ten years where we're expecting every game to be 38-35. Well, I think the defense kind of proved that because how good and how athletic these pass rushers are and how athletic the corners have gotten and the versatility of safeties, there's kind of an ebb and a flow in terms of what side of the ball dominates. So it's still a little early for the Bills, for the, for the Bengals, for the Chiefs, and for all of these young quarterbacks. Let's see it play out at least for another month or so before we start to get worried or really crown any of them. Chris, you're the absolute king. Thanks for making time for us in the Sports Bar. We'll be catching up with you at CBSSports.com where you continue your great work. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Here's Chris Trapasso, draft analyst, CBS Sports, one of our favorites in the 585, giving us some good insight there on the Buffalo Bills after week one. Yeah, he's absolutely right about Josh Allen, though. I think when you look back, it was in his head. I'm on Monday Night Football. I need to make the sex cannon. Yeah, It's the sex cannon. I've got to look good. I'm going to throw this ball over those mountains over there. We could add Uncle Rico behind center trying to hurl it all the way downfield just to look good for the camera. Yeah, it was uh, just a variety of things. That's one of them. You know, I think he does have his coaches in his head about running the football because there are so many that the, the first interception with all of that green in front of him and he still unleashed the sex cannon. You're afraid to run. You have nothing but open space in front of you. No, run. Get the first down. Well, yeah, but then he's launching himself into three defenders, seven yards right. side of the first down. So it doesn't make any Zero sense. Zero consistency. Yeah. Just ridiculous. He's, he's mentally a mess. Uh, we'll, we'll see if he turns it around on Sunday. I think he will. Uh, we'll come back more uh, with more next here in the Sports Bar. We have time for your calls on the other side of this break. You can join us at 866-4326. That's the Good Smoke Barbecue and Wingman line, uh, 585-866-4FAN, the Good Smoke Barbecue and Pub Wingman line. If you're looking for the best barbecue in town, it's easy. It's Good Smoke Barbecue and Pub in East Rochester with award-winning barbecue, lunch, dinner, catering, must-try weekday specials like Taco Tuesday or today, Wacky Wing Wednesday. Every Tuesday, you've got Good Smoke's Chicken Pork or beef gorditas for just three bucks and then wacky wing wednesday today buy one get one free wings good smokes giant signature wings buy one get one free all six or 12 wing dine-in orders on top of that good smokes super happy hour features buy one get one draft beers and three dollar well drinks weekdays from two until six good smoke barbecue and pub 135 west commercial street in east rochester Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 